0: Happy New Year! I want to congratulate you on your perfect church attendance so far this year. It's a good job. Keep it going. See what happens. Uh, don't know if you've made it to the gym yet this year or not. But if you haven't, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, January is just slammed at the gym. Everybody's still pretending like their New Year's resolution is to work out, and they're going to keep after it. But you know, we all know the truth. Uh, statistically speaking at least. Uh, that's why I refuse to go to the gym in January. I refuse to exercise, you know, fake the mile away that I have to park before I have to exercise for real, you know. I mean, that's just horrible I'm park on the back side of the gym. And uh, you might ask, well, when do you go back, Pastor? Or what time of the year? I don't. Okay, let's just be, <laughs> let's be honest. I uh, just don't really like exercising all that much, but uh, probably should considering my age and weight. But uh, we'll see what happens, maybe 2020. But in the times I do go work out, uh, you know what's always open at the gym, no matter what time of the year it is, uh, no matter how many people that are there, you know what's always open? Squat rack. Always open. Doesn't matter how many people are at the gym, doesn't matter what time of year it is, nobody's squatting. Everybody's benching, everybody's curling, everybody's treadmilling, nobody's squatting. Which I find a little bit ironic because, you know, if you are looking like He-Man walking around, but I can push you over because you have, you know, broomsticks for legs, you know, get on the leg machine. You know what I'm saying? But that's not my point. My point is the squat rack is a lot like prayer. You know, everybody knows they should do it, but for whatever reason, we all struggle with it. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. It causes soreness. Do I need a belt? Are we talking about squat or prayer? Both. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'll just go do something else instead. Christians do the same thing with prayer. We know we should. Even if you're not a Christian, I don't think it comes to a surprise to you that, you know, if you would claim to worship something or someone that you would talk to them. The problem is most people don't pray, and I'm convinced it's because they don't know how. And so every January at New Anthem, what we like to do is just spend a few weeks talking about how to pray. And we've uh, actually... You know, gone on to talk about how to fast as well, but uh, here's what I want you to write down this morning. This is my entire message in one sentence. I'm going to teach you how to pray and fast, but first, nothing of significance happens without sacrifice. That's what I want to chat with you about this morning. Nothing of significance happens without sacrifice. Now, in fairness, you already know that's true nothing of significance happening without sacrifice. If you're an athlete, you had to sacrifice mornings for those two-a-day practices, and you had to sacrifice meals and drink and pop and time with friends, sacrifice on the squat rack. And uh, if you wanted to purchase a new car or a new house, you had to sacrifice financially for that. And even if that wasn't a sacrifice financially, you had to sacrifice something, most likely time with family, in order to afford those new things. And if you're married, you've had to sacrifice your own interests for the interest of your spouse and maybe do things you otherwise wouldn't do. And you've sacrificed taste buds. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? Like after they burn the meatloaf, whatever it is, but you've had to sacrifice your health when they were sick and then they passed it to you. That was nice. We're becoming one as a family, you know. Last week my kids were sick. One was Thursday, one was Friday, one was Saturday. Awesome. Thank you for that, uh, kids. But uh, you won't do anything of significance without sacrifice. You won't be a good student. You won't be a good uh, financial steward. You won't be a good spouse. You can't Can't be a good parent talk about sacrifice out in the weather for games, whatever it is, you have to sacrifice in order to find significance, which means, which means that in order for your life to change, you have to sacrifice something. Uh, more importantly, if you want the, uh, your spiritual life to change, then you're going to have to sacrifice something. And the best news that I can give you today, especially if you're here and not a Christian, is Christianity is the only world religion. I'm going to say that again. Christianity is the only world religion that makes the claim that God sacrificed first for you. God first sacrificed for you. So whatever sacrifice you make pales in comparison to what God has already done for you. Christianity is the only religion that makes the claim God cares so much about you and wants to be in a relationship with you and knows that the only place you can find fullness of life is with Him. And so He made a way for you to get to know Him that's not dependent upon your abilities. That's the best news that you can hear all year. That God wants to be in a relationship with you and it's not dependent upon you. And before God made this sacrifice, there was no real way to be in a relationship with Him. It required you to uh, make a ton of sacrifices, kill a bunch of goats, or keep a bunch of laws, or God Himself had to show up and speak to you. And if we learn anything from the Bible, we learn that nobody did a good job at that. And after thousands of years of human history and people failing over and over and over, God, out of His grace, sent His Son Jesus to this earth, not to teach you how to live, but rather to make you come alive. That's the good news of the Gospel. That once Jesus rose from the dead and sent His Holy Spirit to live inside of you, you now have a legitimate way to know God and hear from Him and follow Him, and bring joy to your life by spending time with Him. And so I want us to do a couple things this morning. First, I want us to look at a sermon that Jesus taught, where He gives us kind of the secret sauce to life. You've come in here disappointed, looking for hope. Jesus gives you the secret to life. I'm going to share that with you this morning. It's the other Holy Trinity you need to be aware of, besides God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then I want us to look at a guy who actually incorporated these principles into his life, and maybe see how your life can change because of it. Sacrifice or not, following God are, is totally doable for everybody in this room. It's not something magic you have to do. You're going to leave here this morning knowing what it means to know God, follow Him, and be in relationship with Him. Are You ready for that? Alright, here we go. Matthew chapter 6. If you brought your Bible, that's what you need to find. It's towards the back, a place called the New Testament. Just look for some guys' names and you want the big number 6. These are the very words of Jesus given to His followers so that they could better reflect the character of God. It says, Watch out! Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Wait, there's a reward? Yes, there is. Verse 2, when you give to someone in need, assuming that you do that, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, assuming that you do that, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will Reward you. Verse 7, When you pray, don't babble on and on as Gentiles do. You all been around that person who just keeps praying and praying. Or at that church, you're like, bro, are you still on the prayer? Like, what are we doing? Uh, Yeah, it happens. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating words again again and again and again and again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him drop down to verse 16. And when you fast, assuming that you do that, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do for they try to look miserable and disheveled. So people will will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Some of y'all need to do that even when you're not fasting. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like get that combed out. Uh, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, I hope you notice this because Jesus said that they uh, the secret to life, it happens in three ways. This is the other holy Trinity you need to be aware about. when you pray, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Those are the three things. Notice Jesus didn't command us to do those things. He was under the assumption you were already doing them. So when you give, when you pray, and when you fast, uh, you need to do it in this Way So it's like, well, of course you're going to give. So when you do, you need to do it this way. And we all know everybody prays. And so when you pray, you pray in this way. And yeah, of course you're going to fast. So when you fast, then here's how you should go about it. But I haven't been doing this pastoring thing a long time, but here's what I've discovered in my time. Are there any three harder things to do in your spiritual walk than giving, praying, and fasting? Boy, you want to make some people mad on a Sunday? Get up here and start talking about their money. That'll clear out the room in a hurry. The people say, oh, the church just wants my money. You know, another one is just, I don't want your money. God was under the assumption that you were giving. And so when you do give, you should give in this way. He's after your heart, not your money. And why is it so difficult to pray when it's so easy to literally do anything else? Anybody else discovered that? It's like Tour de France is coming up. If I hop on my bike and bike 30 miles or I could pray, oh, let's go with the biking. You know, like, no, you're never going to make it to the Tour de France. But uh, nonetheless, uh, fasting, I know a lot of people that will fast to lose weight. I know very few people who will spa- fast for spiritual purposes. I've talked to pastors who ashamedly tell me, I've never fasted in, in, in all the years that I've been following God. And that's not the way at all God asked us to live. Uh, Doctors have found incredible benefits to fasting, specifically intermittent fasting. Things like lower blood pressure, decreasing your heart rate, regulating insulin, obviously weight loss. I mean, there's just a whole host of things that you can find online right now about what would happen if you would start fasting. But uh, fasting for spiritual reasons, to draw closer to God... You know, I I don't do that. You know, I'd rather lose the 10 pounds yet. Jesus says here, if you really want to get to know God, and if you really want to live your life to the full, you're going to have to do all three. You're going to have to give, you're going to have to pray, and you're going to have to fast. You've maybe heard the idea that a three-strand cord does not easily break. This is the same in your walk with Jesus. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, that cord to God will not easily break. And look what happens, because I hope you saw this. I tried to enunciate my words effectively. Uh, It's what the vast majority of our world wants right now. Jesus says, when you do these things, God will reward you. Reward you. What does that mean? Well, in the original Greek that this was wrote in, it's the word apodidomi. That's a fun word. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Apodito me. Yeah, you know Greek. Congratulations. 2019, new language. Uh, here's what it means. It's a future tense word. It means to give back. Uh, That's what that means. When God will reward you, God will give back to you. Now, everybody likes to get a reward, but that's why I started this morning the way I started. When I said that uh, nothing of significance will happen without sacrifice, Uh, I guess the way I could have said it is your reward can't come without restraint. Uh, That's a big idea this morning. That giving, praying, fasting, those things all require sacrifice. They're difficult. They require self-restraint. And the question before you today is, do you really want the reward? Do you want to deny yourself some good things in order to get the greatest of things? And some of you are going to decide, no, sacrifice isn't worth it. That's totally your own prerogative. But others of you are going to say yes, because you're sick of having the same problems And you're sick of making the same mistakes and you're ready for a move of God. And what's available to to you this morning is just that. A miracle, a changed life, a healing, financial freedom, a restored marriage, peace. But if you, you want results that nobody else is getting, then you have to do what nobody else is doing. And I can guarantee you very few people in this world right now are giving, praying, and fasting. And so if you don't want to be rewarded by God, then this message is not for you. You can just continue to blankly stare at me as you have done the past moments that I've been speaking and think about how the chiefs are on bye week this week, but... Uh, If you do want these things in your life, if you do want a move of God, if you do want the previous list of any of those things, you know, however God will, if you want to discover how God will choose to reward you, then I want us to look at a guy, an ordinary guy, no different from anybody in this room. His name is Nehemiah. And if you turn back in your Bible towards the beginning... Uh, a different gentleman, a guy named Ezra, compiled Nehemiah's journal for us. And the kind folks who put your Bible together named the account Nehemiah. That's convenient. Thanks for doing that, guys. Uh, but he actually did give, pray, and fast, and he was rewarded by God. And I want to see. I want you to see maybe what you can do this year in order to to change your life by giving, praying. And fasting. We call this initiative that we do every single year 21 days of prayer and fasting, not because There's something magic that happens after 21 days, but rather because science says if you'll do something for 21 straight days, the likelihood that you'll continue to do whatever that thing was skyrockets. It'll eventually become a habit, and I want you habitually praying. But the other reason we decided on 21 days is because Daniel in your Old Testament, as some of you may know, prayed and fasted for 21 days and the breakthrough didn't come until after day 21 and i just figured you know both couldn't be wrong okay if science was wrong god was right and god's not wrong but if he was then the science would have backed us up 21 days so again don't get hung up on the days if you're thinking morally like oh i gotta do the days you're thinking wrongly okay this isn't about the days this is about your heart okay you still with me Good. Nehemiah. He is the guy that we're going to read about. Again, we don't have time to read all of his accomplishments. You can do that on your own. But if you're not there yet, a couple helpful things for you to know. First of all, Nehemiah is Jewish. And Nehemiah uh, came from Jerusalem, not him specifically, but rather his family. If you paid attention in world history class in college, or if you know your Bible, you know that in 587 B.C., the Babylonians went in and they conquered Jerusalem. And they took hundreds of thousands of people captive. People like Daniel. You can read about the account King Nebuchadnezzar conquering Uh, uh, Jerusalem. Uh, That was an actual historical event. And some of Nehemiah's ancestors were some of the people that were enslaved back in Babylon. Now, 50 years later, Persia conquers Babylon. And a king named Cyrus uh, sends back some of these Jews that were captured in Babylon. He sends them back to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple that Solomon had built and to kind of restart things there in Jerusalem. You can read about that year in Bible in the book of Ezra. Uh, The Babylonians destroyed the temple. Now uh, roughly another 40 years go by. A king named Artaxerxes, who you've maybe heard of, he's in a lot of movies, uh, is now on the throne. Nehemiah works for Artaxerxes. He's his cup bearer, which would be an amazing job unless someone tried to kill the king. Okay, all you did is you tasted the king's wine, you ate the king's food. If you lived, congratulations, the king now gets to eat it all. Uh, Which again, not super demanding unless somebody poisons the food. All right, here we go. This is Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. "'In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who are returned to the province of Judah.' They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Why did this news strike Nehemiah so painfully close to his heart? Because this wasn't just political information. Nehemiah's is asking about his family. He likely had ancestors still there. Hey, how's Mima and Papa? Are they still alive? And uh, his brother's like, no, everybody's dead. It's not going well over there. This hurt Nehemiah. And now anytime you read your Bible, you should be asking yourself this question. And what I'm reading, is this descriptive or is this prescriptive? Is this describing to me some events that happened? Or is this prescribing to me how I should act in response to what I've read? If you don't ask yourself that question and answer it rightly, you will end up making some really bad decisions about what the Bible means. You will think to yourself, every time I see a giant, I should kill them with a sling and a stone. No, that's not what that means. You will think to yourself, oh, I should have 700 wives and 300 concubines. Absolutely not. How many of you all know one is hard enough? Come on, somebody. Uh, but you you need to make sure you're thinking rightly about the things that you're reading. Those are describing to you the events that took place. That was ridiculous. Don't tell my wife I said that, okay? Uh those are describing to you the events that took place in your Bible. Other parts of your Bible, though, are prescriptive. And what we know primarily from the rest of Scripture, specifically what Jesus just taught us in his sermon, is that Nehemiah lived a life that's prescriptive to our lives. Nehemiah had a character that we should adopt in our lives. Uh, It's uh, What was Nehemiah's response when he got this troubling news? His first response was to pray. And so... Uh, This is prescribing to us that our first response when we get troubling news should be prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. I've said that a number of times. Prayer needs to be your first response, not your last resort. It's why we have these Pray First bracelets, which you can pick up on your way out to remind you prayer is your first response, not your last resort. Before you eat that meal, before you jump in the car, before you take that test, before you go wherever, do whatever whatever you do, pray first. Pray first. Ask God to help. Ask God to move. If you want to have the best life of your, best year of your life, pray first. So let's chat about prayer for a a second. Statistically speaking, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, and Mormons all pray more frequently than Christians do. And they're not even praying to the true God of the Bible, which is a problem. It should not be that way. Okay, so what do we do? What did Nehemiah do? He prayed, and he prayed the very words of the Bible. Now, there's no reason for you to know this. This is what they pay me for. But in verses 5 through 11, when he lays out this very eloquent prayer for us to God, the reality is he's praying back the very words of Deuteronomy that Moses first wrote. He's quoting scripture back to God that God wrote. The reason I point this out is because when Nehemiah didn't know what to pray, Nehemiah prayed the Bible, And when you don't know what to pray, open up your Bible and just start talking to God. That's why I encourage you to memorize Scripture. If you jump on our website right now, you would find uh, up on the top corner, verse of the day. You click on that, verse of the day. And you should try and read the verse of the day. Memorize the verse of the day. And for no other reason than to pray it back to God. When given this devastating news, Nehemiah's first response was prayer. But his prayer was simply quoting Scripture. He appealed to the character of God based on what he had learned from the writings of Moses. Again, which means when you don't know what to pray, just start praying your Bible. Now also notice that his grief led to a prayer of repentance. Aside from quoting Scripture, Nehemiah also prayed a prayer of repentance. This is a big deal. He didn't say, God, why did you allow this to happen to my family? You, you know, broke down the walls, the temple is destroyed. All these people, are, why are you doing this? He knew why it was happening. He knew what God said and that God was keeping the promise he made to Moses, which is if you break this covenant that you all agreed to, you're going to be punished. And so when you don't know what to pray, aside from quoting scripture, start confessing your sin. Start asking God to forgive you for whatever it is. Ask Him to open up your heart to know what things you've done wrong, how you can be better, how you can follow Him more closely. Write this down. Maybe this will help you. When you pray, it's not about your words, it's about your will. It's not about what you say, it's about your heart. Not about your words, it's about your will. Most people pray to get something from God. Very few people pray to hear from God. I think I say this every time that I talk about prayer. If the only thing you're doing is talking, you're doing it wrong. You need to hear from God besides just speak to Him. And keep in mind, Jesus already said, God will reward you if you prayed with the right heart. So it's not about God conforming his will to what you want. It's about you conforming your will to what God wants. And you've got to hear from God in That. And the reason most people don't pray is because they're afraid of the answer they'll get. Most people don't pray because they already know what they need to do. They're just unwilling to do it because it requires sacrifice. And so people pray to get a miracle instead. I'm not saying that's in any of you, I'm just saying that in general. You know, people do that because, you know, they don't, people don't pray because they don't actually expect God to answer the prayer the way that they want it to be answered. And uh, they don't actually expect God to do what they want him to do. But let me show you one more thing that Nehemiah teaches us here. And Instead of just praying back the words of God, Nehemiah does something else later on. Uh, this is chapter 2. It says, Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, Well, how can I help you? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah. To the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Pause. What was Nehemiah's prayer? Says this time I prayed. It's not recorded for us. Says I prayed. Then I answered the king. If you read on in Nehemiah, you'll see that Nehemiah frequently does this. He just has these quick little shotgun prayers. God remember me. God help me. God strengthen my hands. That's the whole prayer. God, uh, you know, turn back my enemies. Repay them for the evil that they have done. In other words, there is a connectedness to God that transcended his initial prayer in the fall and stays with him the entire spring so that when the king asks, what's wrong with you, there was an overflow in his ability to quickly ask God for help and then have the courage to answer the king. Don't miss that. When the king first talks to him, he's terrified. And it says, then I prayed, then I answered the king because I had courage. That is to say, it's not about your words, it's about your will. It's about your heart. Prayer is continual, like always. You're always in this relationship. Are you so connected with God that throughout the day, you're just constantly talking to Him, listening to Him, uh, getting feedback from Him? God, help me, every, just all the time. Uh, the Bible says one thing when it says, never cease, never cease praying. That's that's what Thessalonians talks about. It's about intimacy. It's about God always being with you. <clears throat> so I'll give you maybe a helpful example. Uh, my wife and I don't often have the chance to go out anymore because, you know, we have kids who ruin everything. <laughs> mostly. Kids, you're fantastic though. You guys right here, these are great. Uh, but it's a pleasure and a joy and an honor to be a parent. But uh, when we when we do get the, the chance to go out, we generally know what we're going to do, you know, uh, go to eat dinner or go to a movie or just walk around a store without screaming kids and admire, you know, all the cereal boxes and things like that uh, and just have fun in each other's presence. The point is, it doesn't really matter what we do. It's just nice to be around one another. And uh, intimacy with my wife would struggle if at some point during the week she said, hey, I really need to talk to you. And I said, well, date night's Friday. Uh, You know, it's not your scheduled quiet time. I'll need you to make an appointment. How many of you all know that's not going to end well? Okay. Uh, Yeah. Yet, is this not how most of us are told we should pray? Set a time. Set a place. Set a schedule. Set a quiet time. And listen to me. All those are good and helpful things, but they'll quickly become unhelpful if that's the only thing you make prayer about. Prayer is about recognizing who you are in light of who God is, and it's about developing a relationship with Him that will overflow into all of your day. It's not about six o'clock in the morning in your closet because that's the only time that's quiet. It should be all the time, and you have to realize that when you understand who you are and that you have the power that God has living inside of you right now, that should radically transform your day. Amen, somebody. And so there's a lot of ways to pray. Okay, there's uh, a lot of ways we've already learned from Nehemiah that you can just read some of the Bible out loud. Make that your prayer. You can confess your sin to God. If on your way out, you'll grab one of our 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting booklets. We have prayers outlined for you that you can pray. We have ways that Jesus taught us to pray that you can pray Pray that take like 10 minutes. Uh, I personally... Uh, pray Puritan prayers uh, in in the morning when I get into work. I have a book of Puritan prayers. They're fantastic. They're super helpful for me. Before I leave to go home, I pray a book of Puritan prayers. Because it's not so much about what you say. It's about your heart. It's about what God wants to do in you. Uh, I, I encourage you all to to read through it. And if you go through next, we teach you how to pray. So again, it's not about what you say. It's about what you believe. And Do you believe... That God is who he says he is. That God has power to do what he promised to do. And I'm just under the assumption that God still answers prayer. Uh, You know, how many of you all read that story this week about that little girl in Texas who had an inoperable brain tumor? No cure. And she showed up a few weeks later for her MRI and the tumor's gone. And the parents were like, well, we prayed about it. And the doctor's like, that's mysterious. And everybody else is like, no, that's miraculous. uh, Because God is still a healer. And uh, God still answers prayer and moves on behalf of his people. Uh, but it doesn't just stop with prayer. Uh, God, said, Jesus told us that when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Well, looking back at Nehemiah, we also found that he fasted. It says he fasted for days. The word fasting that Jesus uses in your New Testament, again, is primarily w- written in Greek. It's the word nestuvo. It literally translates to go fast hungry. Just so you know that I couldn't find a single person in all of the Bible who didn't do something significant without first having fasted. Uh, Daniel, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, Paul, Peter, David, Samuel, Abraham, Jesus, Moses. The list could go on and on. That is to say, if you're looking for a miracle from God, if you're looking for a spiritual breakthrough, if you're looking for something to happen different in your life, might I suggest to you fasting. And let me be as clear as possible, if we're going to talk biblically about fasting, it's about food. It's about not eating. Uh, There's just no way around that. But I also believe that some of you right now, you could give up food, no problem. But God, by golly, if I took away your phone or your internet or your Facebook or your Snapchat or your TV shows, you would literally die. You would have no idea what to do with your life and you would lay down in the fetal position and no one would ever see you again because uh, you don't have a phone to call anybody. Okay, <laughs> so here's what I want you to write down. When you fast... It's not about the description. It's not about the duration. It's about your demeanor. It's not about what you're fasting or how long you're fasting. It's about why you're fasting. Are you fasting with a heart to hear from God? Again, I know a lot of people who will fast in order to lose 10 pounds. I know far fewer who will uh, fast in order to hear from God what the next 10 years of their life could look like. And uh, it's hard truth, but true nonetheless. So contextually, I believe that some of the reason for fasting within Scripture, that the reason it's fasting from food is because uh, you can't live without it. Okay? And so the reason we fast from it is to acknowledge to God that we find our sustenance in Him. It's not in our food. But I also believe that back in ancient history, food was the only really thing they had that could distract them. It's not like they could hop on their phones. Very few people could read or write, and uh, they couldn't surf the web. And so part of the reason I will admit fasting from food is, uh, is because that was their primary distraction. But I also believe that God meant what He said when He wrote the Bible. And, and, <clears throat> excuse me. And so, you should uh, likely try and fast from food. But something else here in 2019, fasting from something else, it could be totally beneficial for you. We want to acknowledge that as well. If you choose to do food, let me also say that you should probably consult a doctor first. Okay. Uh, And if you uh, do choose to do food, start small, you know, don't be a hero, do a day, do three days, do five days, do seven days. Having done this multiple times now, I can tell you that if you can do three days, you can easily do 10 days, okay, from experience, the first three days are always the hardest. Generally, what I do is 10 days with no food. I kind of have a transition day where I get my body back used to to eating some stuff, like some s- soups or broths or whatever. And then I do 10 days of a, the Daniel fast, which is essentially uh, uh, s- vegan on steroids, okay? Uh, there's no meat, no dairies, like nuts, vegetables, and fruit, and that's it. And it's horrible. It's way better not to just eat anything, okay? But <clears throat> that being said, you should all Daniel fast. Uh, no, my my uh what i'm saying i'm actually not doing that this year i feel like the year five of the church god was leading me to do something more profound make 2019 a season of fasting so i'm gonna fast for 40 days i'm gonna fast seven days in january and then three days every the next 11 months for a total of 40 days throughout the entire year it's going to be a year of fasting for me but again Uh, don't say that to brag. Just tell you that's one of the things that you can do. Uh, And again, it's not about me. It's about what you decide to do. If you fast from TV, great. If you fast from your phone, great. If you decide to do a juice fast, fantastic. If you decide to do just a water-only fast, even better. But what I'm trying to help you see is you won't be rewarded by God the same way if you don't do anything. That's not me saying that. That's Jesus saying that. When you give, when you pray, when you fast... And I would highly, highly recommend you do this as a family. It's actually why we've developed these 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting Kits for your children, which, again, you can pick up on your way out. I meant to grab one between services, totally forgot, I apologize. But it outlines what you can do as a family. And prayers that you can pray every night with your kids. Uh, as they, you lay them down to bed, the next 21 days, shield them in prayer. Teach them this is just what people do. We pray. And if you're new to praying, grab one of those, pray those prayers, okay? It'll be fantastic for everybody, even if you're not a kid, okay? Um, Again, not about what you do, it's about why you do it. You're trying to hear from God, you're trying to have your life changed by Him, found the power in Him. Last thing, Nehemiah didn't just pray, he didn't just fast, he also gave, which is what we've been instructed by Jesus to do. He gave up his time He gave up his position. He gave up his money. He gave up sleep. If you'll read about it, he gave up a cush job for a physically demanding job. You see in chapter 2, verse 4, he tells the king, send me back to rebuild the walls and the city. I'm no longer a cupbearer. I'm a contractor. Write this down. When you give, it's not about the amount. It's about your attitude. When you give, it's not about the amount, it's about your attitude. The examples that you'll find in Scripture of people who gave, never asked God, what's the minimum amount I can give? Is this 10% of my net or of my gross? They gave literally everything they had. In fact, they all believed that it was God who owned everything to begin with and just allowed them to have anything that they had. And that's what you see with Nehemiah. He wasn't concerned about his welfare or his well-being or whatever. He was, he was just trying to live irrationally generous. He gave up everything in order to go away and, and rebuild the walls. And he wasn't doing it to make himself famous. He was doing it to make God famous. I would challenge you in 2019 to give more than what you gave in 2018. This has been Laura and I's habit for almost 10 years now, where we give more that year than we did the year before and let me just tell you something out of complete impunity God has always shown up God has always made a way for us to give more than we did the year before test God in this you know this is the only thing the Bible will tell you to test God in your money because he knows it's the only thing that's the chief competition to his heart to your heart to him whatever I'm trying to say y'all following me still and that was brutal but it happens. Okay um so give pray fast we have these tithe challenge cards in all the buckets around you if you want to hop in this year into the tithe challenge here's all it is you'll commit to giving uh being irrationally generous for three months and you sign the card and you make the pledge if at the end of that three months god hasn't done what he promised to do which is reward you when you test him in this we will refund all of your money because I just totally believe that God will do what he promised to do. So I'll put your money where my mouth is, right? So I don't think that's how it goes, but that's how I said it. Uh, but be irrationally generous this year. Live open-handedly. Ask God to do some amazing things with the expectation that he's going to do it. Because you're giving, you're praying, and you're fasting. Do you believe that it's all God's? Because it is. And that's how you need to start Living. Again, it's not about the amount, it's your attitude. So let me land the plane like this. 2019 could be the best year of your life. Doesn't mean there won't be hardship, doesn't mean that there won't be a grind, doesn't mean that there won't be struggle, and it certainly doesn't mean there won't be sacrifice. But if you'll commit to praying, fasting, and giving, God will. Reward you he's promised it and you can't have one without the other And if you're thinking well, I haven't got this and we'll look into your life. Are you doing all three? Ultimately the choice is yours That's the beauty of following Jesus. He meets you right where you at and he beckons you come follow me He doesn't push anything on you or demand anything of you. You get to decide he doesn't pressure you anything He's just simply saying, hey, fullness of life is found over here. If you'll just follow me, I'll give it to you. These are the things that you're supposed to be doing. What you should be most encouraged by this morning is all of this is totally doable. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter your spiritual maturity level. Doesn't matter your income. Everybody in here this morning can give, pray, and fast. Anybody. Doesn't matter who you are. It's just going to require sacrifice. But nothing of significance happens without sacrifice. Every head bowed, every eye closed. (coughs) God's speaking right now. I believe this is a holy moment. God's trying to open up your heart to one of these areas of life maybe all of them God we're asking you to do what only you can do shout in our hearts right now give us our next steps help us know where we can more faithfully serve you with giving and praying and fasting where's God leading you to fast what, you, what is he asking you to give up this season I don't know how all of you came in this morning, but there's a lot of voices all competing for God's right now. I'm asking you to silence those. Just listen to hear from Him. What's He asking you to give more of? What is He asking you to say no to? God, we believe You want our fullness of life. You want this to be the best year for everybody in here. Speak loud, speak clear. For some of you, I believe that prompting in your heart right now is God asking to be invited in, to be in this relationship for the very first time. I want to give you a chance right now just to say yes to new life. Just pray in your heart with me. God, I believe in your Son, Jesus. That He sacrificed for me. That He died. That He rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm made new. Thank you for saving me. God, thank you for this love that you had for us. We couldn't do this on our own. You sent your son, Jesus. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for not demanding, being demanding of us. Thank you for just trying to lead us, call us to joy. Help each person this morning leave here encouraged by your love, by your grace, by your presence. Help us all commit over these next 21 days, to serve you more faithfully in an effort to change our whole 2019. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.